0: Welcome once again to Money Talks, a series of interviews with me, Liam Halligan, economics and business editor of GB News. Today's episode is with Bill Grimsey, who left school at 15 to become a butcher's boy before joining Bishop's supermarket chain as a trainee manager, rising to become a director. Bill went on to work for Tesco before holding senior retail management jobs in Hong Kong and South Africa. Returning to the UK he was later CEO of Wix, Iceland, Booker and Focus DIY, before going on to write both Sold Out and the Grimsey Review, which reports on the state of the UK high street, highlighting the problem of excessive retail space and suggesting instead that the centres of Britain's towns and cities should focus on becoming community spaces. Bill Grimsey, great to have you here on The Money as our latest Money Talks guest You're a well-known figure in British retail.
1: You're a proud Londoner. Just tell us a little bit about your career. Uh, Well, I left school um, at 15, which you could in those days, because I was obsessed with shops and uh, became a butcher's lad, uh, joined that supermarket chain, and the rest is history, as they say. Um, But I was very fortunate to be able to recognise that education was important. So I did all my studying, if you like, in my 20s at night school so uh, you don't just rise from shop boy to chief executive just because you work hard you do have to know what you're doing as well and you're associated with a lot of
0: well-known brands on the british high street in you know, food retail and diy as well
1: yeah i've uh i've worked for Budgeons, tesco uh in, in the in the uk i've worked for park and shop which is the biggest supermarket chain in hong kong i ran that for five years and then I had uh, the DIY experience um, with Wix. Uh, then Iceland, back to food, and Booker, the wholesaler. And then finally I bought Focus Do It All with a private equity uh, pro- provider from the States. Um, and here's a tip, don't buy a, a home improvement chain in 2007. Not, not smart.
0: We're but, all, we're all
1: wise in retrospect. But Bill,
0: everybody, given the financial every, collapse
1: in two thousand and eight, everybody says to me, "Surely you saw that coming."
0: <laughs> Almost no one saw it coming. Exactly. <laughs> so you've had all these incredible experiences, but you've always been, in your bones, somebody interested in the retail experience, and you've come to prominence in your semi-retirement, as you like to call it, because you are really banging the drum for the British High Street. What is the state of the British High Street at the moment?
1: Well, the, the British High Street ha, um, has a huge challenge to transition from a retail-led solution to a community hub-led solution. And what does that mean? It means that we have a lot more in our town centres other than shops. We will have health, education, entertainment, leisure, arts, crafts, and because we make them great places to go, they will also have shops, but it won't be as it was historically, have an anchor tenant, big name, Debenhams, well, that didn't work, did it? (laughs) British home stores, well, that didn't work either. So, you know, the the transition from the car-born culture of the 20th century to the technology-driven culture of the 21st century requires planners to think with vision about what they should be in the future.
0: Certainly in many parts of the country, towns rather than cities, but even in some cities, the British high street does seem in quite a sorry state. It seems to me like there's a perfect storm. You've obviously got the expansion of e-commerce. Then we've had a lot of financial turbulence in recent years, you talked about the 2008 financial crisis. There, then we've had lockdown. It seems like a bit of a perfect storm.
1: Now, the service-based economy is not history. That is the future. I mean, we—if we, we—if we're not—if we're going to get back to a economy that's got productivity in it we're talking about technology aren't we we're not talking about um making stuff like uh, other third world economies where the labor intensity intensity enables it to be done cheaply and this is why we import stuff from uh, china and india we're talking about being on the leading edge of productivity so um technology um uh Biological stuff, all that stuff. Like we, we, we were first with the, with the vaccine. Mm. That's where the future lies. But how do we get our local towns to be individual and not clone towns, which Mm. we, which people like me built? We built clone towns in the 20th century, full, full of the same things. Why would you go to town A as opposed to town B? But in 21st century, that's the the fun bit. We will have towns that have brands, their own brands. You go to York because and it's easy because York, we know what's in York, but you'll go to Halifax because, or you'll go to um Bister because. And so these these because are brands and they're based on heritage. So we're blessed with a massive heritage, and we're blessed with communities that will live, work, play in those places and people will visit because they're a great place to go and they're different and they have a unique selling proposition and they're marketed by the local authority accordingly. And they'll create economies in their own right. So the key is, towns need to compete with towns for the economy to grow. And that's what I've been advocating for the last 10 years. So forget shops, they are gonna still be there but they're not going to be the real driver. And so I say that, I put it like this, imagine 1500 Disney worlds in the UK. I don't mean theme parks, but I mean places of interest, places of attraction, places with experiences that are based on their local heritage that are all different and we can do that. And it's staring us in the face. And does that sound like utopia? No. Because there are towns that have listened in this last ten years that are already doing it. And one of those is in the worst place economically in England called Stockton on Tees. Mm-hmm. And it is transforming the place. Railway as, ground zero. As we say. Yeah, but it's here's what they've done. Two shopping centres. The local authority bought both, They're moving retailers from the not so good one into the Good better one. So it's now full mm. rather than both half empty and they sell that back to the private sector to run and they're blowing the other one up and they're opening the T's, the river, up to the town centre with a green park. Mm. Now the guy that did it, Neil Schneider, as chief executive, uh, he's now retiring himself. But he said to the to justify it, there's no IRR here. There's no rate of Internal return. Internal
0: rate of return. This, exactly. This is not necessarily no. a financial decision. There's other stuff going on.
1: And he said, you can't afford not to do this mm. because it will create the place that we can then build the economy on. And he's right.
0: It's stuff that will eventually reap a financial return, but it's intangible stuff at the beginning. You can't put in a spreadsheet. It doesn't make business sense unless you have the leap
1: of imagination. At the end of the month, I'm going up to York to speak up at York for an active group to stop the council building a 350 multi-storey car park in York in a nice bit of land. We will be carless in our town centres by 2050. So just because that car park right now shows a four or five year good rate of return, blah, blah, blah. It's not what you need in 10, 15, 20 years mm. time. So rethink the whole thing and don't just look at individual projects. So, you know, it's a, it's a real challenge for our local authorities. And of course, that brings you back to what is the main thing government has got to do. And that's changed the leadership out there because they're not good enough. So you want devolved... You want a lot of local
0: leadership empowered to make these big local planning decisions that really shape communities and local economies going forward, because local people will know better what their community needs, what what their town needs than
1: someone sitting in Whitehall. I Exactly right. We need to decentralise, we need to give people ownership of their own places, and we need people to lead that, that have got the experience to run a brand. So Dave Lewis, who did a fantastic job at Tesco, I don't know where he is now, but he, w- he would make a fantastic mayor, uh, because we need to create these places to compete with each other and get the economy moving around that basis.
0: Let's talk about where we are now and we'll go back to where we're going, uh, Bill. Where we are now, do you think the British government needs to impose some kind of e-commerce tax? So local physical retailers, bricks and mortar retailers have more of a chance to compete with the big
1: uh, online commercial giants. Well, this may surprise you, but no, I don't. I don't think it's the role of governments to interfere with markets. I'll give you a little example. When we went out of town, and I was a a big protagonist of that in the uh, 70s and 80s, I was a new store development director of Tesco in the 80s. I was opening 25 superstores a year, all out of town. We were doing it because the land was cheap, the rates were cheap per square foot. We could get big stores, we could get Big free car parking. No, that decimated the town centres. And nobody said, you've got to have an out-of-town tax to help the Mm. poor retailers in the town. And now bricks-and-mortar retailers are getting caned by Amazon. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, because their business model is a good model and it works. Government shouldn't interfere with that. What they should do is look at how the... Town centres and particularly the independent business sector, which is massive in this country, um, is faring following this pandemic. So here's an, here's a, so the
0: smaller, the smaller shopkeepers.
1: They are, they're in
0: one, a, two, maybe three branches, if a, that,
1: or, or maybe one. one. And it's we're not just about shopkeepers, we're talking about hairdressers, Mm. which are the mainstay of high streets in the future. Health and beauty is a big, big... You can't get your hair done online, Mm. (laughs) all right? Not yet, anyway. (laughs) Uh, You might be able to get your nails done one day by putting (laughs) them in a machine. But But, you know, we need to help those businesses in a way to come out of this pandemic. Now, where do they sit today? They have got £1.7 billion of debt that they didn't have Before the pandemic. And they would not have been allowed to borrow that money based on the the shape of their balance sheet. Nobody would have lent it to them. But because it was underwritten by the government, they've got that money, and now they've got to start paying it back. They won't be able to.
0: And they're being hit with a increase in national insurance that stops them or discourages them from taking people on exactly. they're about to be hit with an increase in corporation tax from 19 to 25% correct. that comes in next year
1: correct and they've also got this old thorny issue which the government kicks down the street every day a can down the street business which rates. is business yeah. rates so all of this this challenge for those small independent businesses is huge now if this was a major chain these businesses going bust it would be on the news every day but because it's one shop here and one shop over there that death by a thousand cuts you've taken the words straight out of my mouth and i did a review um last year called um against all odds and it featured independent retailers i sent it to rishi sinek i sent it to boris johnson i sent it to uh, Keir Starmer. It's a great document. We've researched all these businesses, and they all told us the same thing: we have to have some help here. Now, one point seven billion. I I advocated in that review. Forgive it, mm. okay? Let's write it down. Write it down. Write mm. it off. Now, mm. people say to me, "Are you mad?" Well, not as mad as giving two point five billion of business rate relief to the major retailers that stayed open yeah. during the uh, the pandemic and subsequently most of them handed it back. By the way, there are some boys out there that didn't hand it back. And interestingly, people like the range, which is privately owned by Chris Dawson or Iceland, which is privately owned by Malcolm Walker. They haven't handed it back. They've kept that money and they had great time during the pandemic because everybody else was shut. But... The supermarkets gave it back, and they've given back more than $2 So my argument to Rishi Sunak was, and still is, sort these people out because they are in desperate states. And how serious is it? Is it just financial? No. When we did our research, we found couples that had suicide packs Mm. because it threatens their whole livelihood.
0: Their identity.
1: Yeah. So... Uh, There's some pretty serious stuff going on out there. Do you see
0: anyone in government? You talk to a lot of people in government. You are a very uh, significant figure in in British retail. You are trying to tell our political leaders uh, your view of how the high street should fare in the months and years to come and, and more power to your elbow. But have you found anyone at the top of our political class who really understands retailing, who instinctively understands
1: what small and medium-sized businesses go through? No, there's a short answer. Not at the top. There, I found local politicians that understand it and work with them, but I haven't found any uh, people sitting at the top. Now, my very first review in 2013 said, the biggest challenge we face in the future is what to do with our town centres and high streets. And yet... You don't have a minister sat round the cabinet table, right? A full minister, not, you know, not one of these ones further down. It's just got high streets appended to it. That's actually the voice of our high streets. Um, we have got that. Now, since we did that review in 2013, a lot's changed and there are towns doing it and, and it is working in, in various places. And we now have the, the, uh, the uh, High Street Task Force, which came out of the review, which was done by Sir John Timpson. Very big name. Yeah. Well, Sir John was commissioned to do a review when I had just done my second review in 2018. But the then minister for it, uh, um, let's put it this way, he he wanted to own it. So he commissioned Sir John. And we had lunch, I'll never forget it. And uh, I said, when do you want John to do this review, uh, for. He said, uh, um, well, I need it by Christmas. And this was September. Well, John went absolutely white. So I slid my 2018 review across. I said, Do yourself a favor, John. Just take the cover of that one and you're done. <laughs> uh, and I'm not saying he did literally that, but it was pretty damn close. And out of that came the task force. Now, the task force has been very quiet during this pandemic, but he's been getting on with some good work. Mm. But I don't think that the task force, uh, senior executive and the government are hitting the right um, things that need to be done, which business rates is an absolute must. Stop kicking the can down the road, get rid of it. It does not work. It's a complicated property tax. You could replace it tomorrow, with a sales tax. Now, before you cringe, 2% on everything retail in this country would raise exactly the same amount. 30 billion quid? No, 8 billion. It's only retail we're talking about. Okay, now. sorry. Okay? Yeah, yeah. 8 billion. It would raise 8 billion quid. Now, if you believe in competition and prices, you, it wouldn't necessarily get passed straight through to consumers. Yeah. And it would take away this... Hor- horrific this, thing. this tax
0: that retailers pay whether they make any profit or not whether they make any sales or not they have Correct. to pay
1: but but if you put and, it
0: and for small businesses and if you put it, it's
1: it, crippling and if you put it on everything retail mm. that would level the playing field between online and offline because they because mm. the, amazon would have to pay the two percent as well and and I think you know there are some You know, sometimes there are some simple solutions around, uh, but unfortunately, because the business rates has a plethora of uh, judges out there that hear appeals, lawyers assessing it, and all this complicated stuff. There
0: are interest groups that want it to stay the way it is. They like the complexity because they make money out of the complexity. Correct.
1: So, uh, you know, Rachel
0: Reeves, the shadow chancellor, she wants to abolish business rates. Does she deserve a hearing? She,
1: she does. I, I would abolish business rates. You need, to, look, government needs to replace that income. Uh,
0: and it is 30 billion business is, rates as a whole. It is. So for manufacturers and retailers, at yeah. 8 billion of
1: that. Uh, but I've only concentrated on the retail side. Yeah. Uh, it's not beyond the wit of man to replace that complicated um, uh, algorithm that calculates mm. things um, with something simple, is it? So it can be done.
0: What are your fears, Bill? What happens if we don't try and reshape, reimagine, reconfigure the British High Street? What about if we just carry on as we are without taking bold and radical steps? Where
1: will we end up? You will have left behind towns or even ghost towns. Okay, that will happen. Leveling up is a political platform that is complete nonsense. The levelling up way that that's going on out there with the the town centres is through funds that are made available. Guess what these towns have to do? This was in my last review. They have to bid for that money. So they have to put together a plan. So this is what we'll spend it on. They either get it, which is great, or they get nothing. So winner (laughs) takes all, okay? They're not told when they get nothing, why they didn't, okay? Mm. And guess what? The ones that have been getting it, they kind of like marginal seats mm. from the last election.
0: So it's a very... Pork p- barrel politics going on.
1: I'm glad you said that because <laughs> I can't say that in one go, but it's exactly that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just think that we need to be um, simplify things. It can't be difficult to do some analysis of a criteria where you say we are going to allocate these funds to that place... But you don't get it, you're not getting it for nothing. You have to then tell us what you're going to spend it on. You have to bid for it, but it doesn't go away. You might get told that's not good enough, go back and do it again, but it's still there. All this all or nothing is just going to create left behind towns and unfortunately, what is going to happen, it's got this political bias uh, around it and uh, uh, you're going to see some pretty poor uh, towns, even ghost towns.
0: Well, Bill, it's been really interesting to talk to you. Thanks a lot for being my latest guest on Money Talks. Pleasure. Thanks a lot for listening to Money Talks with me, Liam Halligan, economics and business editor of GB News. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube or wherever you're listening. Do subscribe to this podcast and also check out my daily television show On The Money at 1pm Monday to Friday on GB News or via the GB News app. GB News, Britain's news channel.